Our Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 8, uh, verse 1 to 17. And you'll find that on page one, uh, 972 of the Church Bibles. The man with leprosy. <clears throat> when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you could make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. The faith of the centurion When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Jesus heals many. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. And if you watch the uh, TV programme, Have I Got News For You? You will know that they show some photos of different news events that have happened during the past week. Uh, and ask the... Uh, those are competing to explain what news stories are behind them. Now, in true uh, Have I Got News For You style, here's a few photos that tell the major news events of this last week. Um, One should be appearing just now, flying its way in. Any guesses what that is? Obviously, Brown's um, desperate attempt to cling on to power with his cabinet reshuffle person who came out of that probably best, Lord Mandelson. And going on to the next one, 
Here we have the Iranian elections, among uh, that in controversy. Those wanting to oust the existing president, but uh, results affirming him. Uh, next one, swine flu. It's now become, according to the World Health Organization, a pandemic. Over a thousand cases now in this, this country. And finally, here we have um, rescuers finding some of the wreckage of that uh, tragic loss of the Air France plane in the Atlantic. News is usually, I think, in most weeks, dominated by politics and tragedy. Usually with a bit of sport thrown in for good measure. I could have shown you some photos of some very happy England football players or some very unhappy English cricket players. But um, this is the world we live in. This just captures what goes on in our world. On the one hand, we have pain and suffering. And on the other hand, human leaders struggling to lead their countries effectively and often being criticised when they fail. And that is exactly the same situation to which Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came into a society which had its own share of pain and suffering. And also a society which was occupied by a foreign power. And his own leaders were guilty, as Jesus pointed out, of pride, of hypocrisy, of self-preservation. And the question we're asking over the next couple of weeks in this new sermon series is, why did Jesus come? Why did he come into such a world? What good could he have hoped to have achieved? And as we try to answer that question, we're going to be looking in particular at chapters 8 and 9 of the book of Matthew. These come after chapters 5, 6 and 7, believe it or not, in which we have the, the famous Sermon on the Mount. And then we have the, the words of Jesus. But now, in chapters 8 and 9, we have the works of Jesus. Chapter 7 ended with the fact that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching, amazed at his words. But now we're going to see they're going to be amazed at his works. Not only did he teach with authority, but he now acts as one with authority, with authority over sickness and death, sin and nature. And we'll see more of that over the next couple of weeks. But turning to this passage that we're looking at this morning, what picture do we get from this of the world in which we live? Well, here we are presented with four instances of sickness. Sickness that in that day, without the treatments we have available today, would ultimately lead to death. And it's not that any of the, the illness of any of these people here resulted from their particular disobedience to God. But what is being portrayed here is a, are the consequences of a world which has rejected God. This is the human condition. This is the world in which we live. Sickness and death, sadly, are a real part of it. And we cannot escape that. And physical death in the Bible is, is demonstrated as a consequence of spiritual death that leads to judgment. And Jesus doesn't hold back when he um, speaks there in verse 12 that the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The problem is that our culture, particularly in Western society, doesn't like facing up to the reality of death. 
And so when it does come, it's all the more shocking. I remember a, a video a few years back, I think it was Live Aid, but it showed various celebrities and put a number against them. Be five, three, six, two, etc. And at the end came a, a picture of a, a guy from Ethiopia, I think it was, and he had the number something like 622. And you're trying to think, well, what do those numbers signify? There's the number of funerals those people had attended. For us in the West, it may be that we don't go to many funerals. But for those in Africa, it was a daily occurrence. Now the point here for the, for the first century readers, as well as for us today, is unless we try to understand the days in which we live and why the world is like it is, we won't make any sense of what Jesus came to do. If we avoid thinking about death and what will happen to us after we die, then we won't be able to see just how vital and how important Jesus' work was for us. We can kid ourselves that, that pain and suffering is something that we read about in the news, something that happens to, to other people. But sooner or later, each one of us will be affected by it. Each one of us will have our own stories to tell of pain and hurt. It is an individual thing as well. Which is probably why when Jesus comes down here from the mountainside, large crowds follow him. Matthew, in his account of what happens here, he shows the impact of this fallen world on the lives of three individuals here. The first one is described as a man, as a man with leprosy. And when we think of leprosy, I don't know what images come up in your mind, we probably think of it as a, a first century illness. But I think it was only about um, you know, 50 or so years ago that it was virtually eradicated in this country, and it still exists in many countries of the world today. The Leprosy Mission still does a valuable work. In India, I think there are over apparently 1,000 leper colonies still. And the awful thing about leprosy is that it causes social isolation. I don't know whether any of you have read the book um, The Island by Victoria Hislop. Okay, a few might have read that. Um, it was. Uh, written by Victoria Hislop, the wife of Ian Hislop, of Have I Got News For You fame again, bit of a theme here this morning. Um, it's, it's a great book if you haven't read it, it's set during the Second World War, and the island from which the book um, takes its name is an island off the coast of Crete, Spinalonga, which uh, served as a leper colony. And the book is quite, I mean, it's quite heart-wrenching at times, it describes the impact on families where a member of the family contracts leprosy and is banished to that island and has to live in as an outcast, effectively. Now, we don't have leper colonies in this country today, but we do have many people who are social outcasts for various reasons and for no fault of their own. Whether it's due to, to mental illness, whether it's due to the way society treats those with a physical handicap, or whether it's simply due to, to old age, where many people live in their own homes in virtual isolation. The impact of, of leprosy. The second example in this passage is the servant of a Roman centurion who, it says, lies at home paralysed and in terrible suffering. I don't know if you heard the tragic story last week of the, the couple, the two parents, who threw themselves off Beachy Head they were unable just to continue with life after their five-year-old son had died of meningitis. He had um, 
been paralysed in a car crash when he was just one year old. Um, but he received a lot of support from his parents and become his full-time carers. And uh, when he died, they just couldn't live without him. But none of the help that uh, paralysed patients have today would have been available here in the first century. There wouldn't even have been any painkillers. And so the servant here, it says, lay in terrible suffering. And then there was Peter's mother-in-law. Well, how many of you knew that Peter was married? And uh, much as we have these images of uh, mothers-in-law these days, or Reggie Perrin images of hippos and other jokes, this poor lady is lying in bed with a fever and there wouldn't have been antibiotics in those days to cure a fever. She would most probably have died. All these three individuals are real individuals, real live people in a hopeless situation facing the prospect of death. And into that situation, Jesus steps as the one who came for us, not for himself. The servant king who came to help us. There's been much uh, discussion this week about how the the BNP could possibly have uh, received so many votes in the European elections. Common view is that it was more of a protest vote against the, the rest of the political parties. But a protest against what? I mean, yes, there's been the whole sort of expenses fiasco. But was that just a symptom of a, of a bigger problem? That people maybe feel their politicians are really not serving their own interests, so they're putting their own interests first, whether it's in putting in devious expense claims, whether it's resigning in the week of an election and letting their own party down, or negotiating the best position for themselves. Of course, politicians are no worse than anybody else. You know, deep down, people are all the same. We just have higher expectations of our political leaders because you know, we elect them to serve our interests. And it was no different in Jesus' day. Jesus reserved his most aggressive attacks for the leaders of God's people, those who had failed in the responsibilities given them. And in Pilate, we saw a leader who was more concerned about his own position than about justice. But the crucial question is not whether human leaders in Jesus' day any different from the human leaders in our day, but was Jesus any different as a leader? Was he any different from any of the more outstanding leaders of, of history? And I'd like to suggest two reasons from this passage, passage that make Jesus stand out. First of all, he has power and authority from God. He is a king, a real true king. And secondly, he puts the interests of others first. He is a perfect servant, which led him to make the ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life for his people. Let's look at each of those in turn. First of all, he came with the power and authority of God. We've already said that the world in which we live, as we've seen in the news articles there, is a world which is, is broken. It is fallen. And when God made the world, though, as it says in Genesis, it was very good. He looked at it and was very pleased with the world he'd made. But man's sin affected everything in that world, not just man himself and his relationship with God, 
but man and his relationship with, with each other. Man and his relationship with the world. Sickness, disease and death entered the world. And now it says in Romans 8, the whole creation has been groaning. But what do you do when something is broken? What do you do when something doesn't work? I guess normally you take it back to the manufacturer and maybe claim under the warranty that it hasn't expired. You could try and mend it yourself, but uh, if it's during the warranty period, you'll invalidate the, uh, the warranty. I'm sure none of us would be tempted to do that. I mean, claim we never touched it, honest gov. The thing is, the one who made the world knows how it was put together in the same way as a manufacturer knows how those things were put together. They're the ones best able to, to mend them. And the maker of this world knows its weaknesses. He's the best one who can fix it. And it's like that with Jesus. We can try and fix our own human problems. We can try and find others who claim to have the power to, to fix our problems. But ultimately, there is only one who has the power and the authority to sort out our problems. And that is the one who made us in the first place. That is God himself. So how did God himself, through Jesus Christ here, help the three people in our passage? Well, he came to serve and he came to suffer for us. It's interesting that in the large crowds here that follow Jesus, as we've said, Matthew focuses in on three individuals. He healed many, it says here. He healed, he cast out demons. He, he healed all the sick. But there are three that Matthew picks on. Let's just look at the details of these healings here. First of all, first of all we have the leper. And it says he came, verse 2, and knelt before Jesus. And that's quite significant because it indicates a submission to Jesus' authority. It's saying... I'm not going to try and persuade you, Jesus, that I should jump the queue above anybody else, that my need is greater than yours, that my case deserves to be seen by you before anybody else. I simply come to you and I ask for your mercy. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I know you can. It depends on whether you are willing. You may decide... For whatever reason, not to heal me. And in that case, I accept that. And that is a very hard thing to do, isn't it? I think this is a, a lesson for us today when it comes to healing. Because, of course, God can still heal us today. And many often instances, he does do that. But he may not always choose to. And when we ask for healing for ourselves or for others, we need to acknowledge that. We We'll have to wait until we meet him to ask him, you know, why did he heal those people and, and not those? But uh, as I heard uh, from Jane's testimony in the women's breakfast yesterday, it's, it's not particularly helpful to ask that why question now. It's better to seek God's help to get through the, the problems that uh, we go through. Because accepting God's will here as a leopard, means asking him to give us the, the faith to trust in him, whatever the outcome may be. Now in this particular case, Jesus does a remarkable thing. He, he touches the hand of a leper, which for anyone else would be a risk just too great to, to take. And he says what in the Greek are just two words. He says, Thelo 
I am willing. Catharistete, from which we get catheter, catharistete, be clean. I am willing, be clean. And the results from those two words, it says immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Amazing power and authority. Well, the healing of the centurion's servant is similar. And then the centurion displayed the same attitude as that of the leper, a submission to Jesus' authority. And it says he came to Jesus asking for help. Only this time it's even more remarkable because this is somebody who was used to ordering people around. He was used to getting his own way, telling people what to do, and they would do it for him. Only now with his sick servant, there was nobody he could order about to heal him. The only person who could do that was Jesus. And what does he do? He says there in verse 8, he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, in his humanity here, is astonished at the faith shown by the centurion. Verse 10, he says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And says to him, verse 13, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And again the result, immediate, his servant was healed at that very hour. And then we have Peter's mother-in-law and many more who were, who were demon-possessed and sick and Jesus healed them all, it says. Just think of the joy that these people would have experienced. Think of that leper. Jesus tells him, you know, don't tell anybody. Just go and offer the sacrifice to the priest at the temple and he'll be welcomed back into the, the, the worshipping community. But when we read this, this account in Mark, we're told that he just can't contain himself. He just has to go out and tell people. He's just so pleased. Or think of that that paralysed man in just terrible pain. And suddenly, the pain's gone. Suddenly he can get up and walk. And think of the people caring for him. Think of Peter caring for his, his sick mother-in-law. Think of the relief that would have come to both of them. And from all the people that Jesus heals, why is it that, he, that we get the account of these three individuals? Are these three just chosen at random? Was there a point which he's trying to make here? Well, I think the point is because these three, in, in different ways, are all sort of those on the edge of society. They're almost excluded. You think of the leper, he was unclean. He couldn't go to the temple. The centurion, he was a Gentile, he was a foreigner. Then there was the woman, who, the, Peter's mother-in-law, who wouldn't have had the same status in society as, as women would today. And by demonstrating Jesus' healing of these three people, he was saying that salvation, not just healing of people's symptoms, but salvation, healing of people's spiritual conditions, extends to all people. And that is clear there in his response to the centurion in verse 11. Have a look there, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came for all types of people, every one of us here this morning. But the other question is, well, why did he heal them anyway? Because, you know, when our things break down, as we said before, we'll take them in. If there's a car, we'll take it in to the garage. 
and they do a bit of a, a patch-up job and it does a few more miles. But ultimately, it's going to break down, isn't it? Again. You know, and even if we take the, the government's handout and go and change it for a, a new car, that car eventually is going to break down as well. Well, I think there are two reasons here why Jesus healed these people. The first is the one we looked at earlier with the, with the, the children. It was to give a glimpse of a world where there would be no more illness, no more suffering, no more death. It was to demonstrate what life will, will look like for those who put their trust in Jesus, who put their, submit to his authority and will come and live in that new earth. But secondly, it was to demonstrate that he was the one with the power and authority, the one who had been prophesied for so many years, who would come and deal with man's real problem, who would deal with a world that is messed up. Where do we get that from? Well, look at verse 16. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. What does that mean? What are those two sentences mean? He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Does that mean anything to us? Well, it would have meant something to these Jews listening to him. And if we turn to the book of Isaiah, we'll see where it comes from. Isaiah chapter 53 page 740 of the Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And there it is. And just look here how we see that this is really a servant who is going to come for us. Just look how much it's stressed here. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The way in which Jesus removed the pain and the suffering of these people and of us today is not simply by providing a few miraculous healings. It was by him himself taking up and bearing the pain, bearing the, the punishment of sin that was due to us as a result of our sin. And more importantly than saving us from the symptoms of our problems was the fact that he could cure the root cause of our problem. Jesus' ministry here in chapter 8 is really only just starting, but um, this passage already, as it talks about the arrival of a king into this world, is already pointing to the end of his ministry. It's pointing to the cross, to that place where sin would be dealt with. Well, as I finish, we've been reminded in this passage of the state of the world in which we live, of the human problem, of what it's like to live in a world that's been affected by, by man's sinfulness. 
But the great news about this passage is that Jesus came with the power and authority of God and he came to take up our pain. He came to bear our punishment. And he came to do that for us. The challenge to us this this morning is whether we are willing to submit to that authority. Whether we are prepared to, to say to him, as the leper here did, as the centurion did, Lord, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve your help, but I need your help. Lord, have mercy on me. If we are prepared to say that, then we have a glorious future to look forward to. We, we have a glimpse here of, of that world, of what it will be like when Jesus comes and remakes it, recreates the new heavens and the new earth, when there will be no more pain, when there will be no more illness. We continue to pray for those who are ill. We pray that God would restore them to full health. We want to enjoy their company. We want them with us. They mean so much to us. But we look forward to a time when we won't ever more need to worry about their health or our health because there will be no more pain. Let me close by reading some verses from Isaiah 25. We'll then have a moment of quiet before the group close with our final song. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation.